0: Hi, it's Michael Smirconish. Welcome to Book Club with Michael Smirconish, a collection of Michael's favorite interviews with authors from the last 30 years through today, on the air, on radio. What sets my book club apart is that I actually read the books. Book Club is now in session. Admiral James Stavridis spent more than 30 years in the U.S. Navy rising to the rank of four-star admiral. He was Supreme Allied Commander at NATO and previously commanded U.S. Southern Command overseeing military operations through Latin America. He's been here previously to discuss books, including 2034, a novel of the next world war that was co-written with another guest on this program, Elliot Ackerman. Uh, now, with a brand new release of his own, it's nonfiction, To Risk It All, Nine Conflicts and Crucible of Decision. It's nice to have Admiral Stavridis back on the program. Admiral, uh, this is kind of funny. Around our house, our four kids know me as a form of uh, parental advice to always say, gather data have you gathered the data how are you going to make that decision if you haven't gathered the data and here you are with your brand new book to risk it all and one of the the key takeaways is you got to gather all the intelligence indeed
1: and of course that's simply the uh, the military expression to gather the intelligence same idea and you know the the essence of the book to risk it all is that Uh, sometimes there are decisions you have to make now, 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 and you may not even have time to gather all the data in that instant. So all the more reason as you go through life, Michael, that you are constantly searching the horizon, understanding what's happening, examining your own heart. So you're ready when that moment comes, but at the, at the very center of it all, is that idea of gathering the intelligence?
0: Yes. What happened in the Arabian Gulf, July of 1988, that makes your point?
1: <laughs> the uh, unfortunately, the U.S. cruiser Vincennes uh, was on patrol there. This is during the time of the tanker wars, where escorting uh, tankers in and out of Iraq. We, the U.S. Navy, and uh, on board USS Vincennes, the tactical action officer makes a tragic mistake. He has an assumption bias, believing that an aircraft he is tracking is an Iranian military aircraft. He shoots it down and it turns out to be full of Iranian civilians. It's an Airbus, a civilian aircraft. It's a good example of making a decision under extreme stress where you haven't invested the time to really appreciate the intelligence and understand your own assumption bias in that moment of crisis.
0: Do you think that Vladimir Putin, when contemplating invading Ukraine, gathered all the data or, in military speak, gathered all the intelligence?
1: I think, unfortunately, he was unable to really see that intelligence. My assessment would be, Michael, that he has isolated himself so completely. And, And look at those pictures that have come out of him sitting at one end of this table the size of a gondola in Venice, Parking himself away from his team, it's a metaphor for the fact that after 20 years of absolute power, he is not being shown the reality on the ground. I believe his generals misled him, and then he rolled the dice recklessly based on bad intelligence, and he is reaping a windfall of disaster for his nation. Well, I'm sure,
0: Admiral, you've seen the Wall Street Journal's reporting under the headline documents reveal hundreds of Russian troops broke ranks over Ukraine orders. The lead says that hundreds of Russian troops have escaped the fighting in Ukraine or refused to take part during the early stages of the war, according to military decrees that have been reviewed by the Wall Street Journal. Later in the piece, it goes on to say that they they really don't know uh, what to do about this, they the Russians, because they don't want to draw more attention to the issue. And if if they have high scale prosecutions of those who deserted, then maybe they'll encourage more to do so. Could he have seen that coming in terms of gathering all the intel? He
1: could have if he had been open to uh, doing so, to allowing his subordinates to say to him honestly, look, this may be a bad idea. Our armed forces aren't ready for this level of combat. We've never executed a massive campaign like this. Russia has recent combat experience, but it's all small scale. It's in Chechnya, in Syria. They have no idea how to conduct what we would call combined arms operation, where you bring air, sea, land, cyber, space together to create real effect on a battlefield. He, he was unaware how bad his generals were, how hollow his army is. Having said all that, he has massive forces and he's continuing to grind away at the Ukrainians. All the more reason we need to continue to support them.
0: Also from the book, Admiral Stavridis says never commit to a course of action before you must. What exactly does that mean? Seems self-evident, but there's more to it.
1: So often I have found in life that people leap to conclusions. And we know this around our own dinner table at home. We see it in our workplace. I saw it again and again in the military. It's at the heart of the book to risk it all. The idea that uh, people's human nature leads them to try and make a decision before they absolutely have to. And there are times when you've got to make that decision now, 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 an active shooter scenario. You're uh, on a beach and someone is drowning in the water. There's no lifeguard in sight. You're an okay swimmer. You were a high school swimmer. Um, These situations pop up, but wait until you have to make the decision before you risk it all. That's the idea there.
0: You were four years Supreme Allied Commander on President Barack Obama's watch. He had a certain coolness to him, a a methodical planning quality that you saw firsthand that I think fits what you're discussing about understanding a timeline.
1: Indeed. Uh, We used to call him uh, kind of behind his back, but I can say it now. Uh, No drama, Obama. Um, Right. and, and, And it's the point that He was very cool in the clutch. I admired that about him. But less well known, if you attended a meeting with the president in the Situation Room, for example, he would not make a decision until he had heard from almost literally everybody in the room. He was well known for that. And it can make subordinates frustrated because they want to get to a decision. And in many cases, I myself felt like Hey, Mr. President, I know what needs to be done here. Please follow my recommendation. Secretary of Defense would do the same. President Obama was someone who also had the ability to kind of slow down time. And he was a master of not making the decision until he absolutely had to.
0: I should mention, Admiral, that what you do in the book is you look at the history of the U.S. Navy and those who had to make these pressure-packed decisions under extreme circumstances And you tell those stories, but then you also offer, as you're doing right now in a short form, life lessons for all of us.
1: Exactly. And, you know, I always feel like write what you know about. So I'm an admiral. I know the Navy. And I think there's a kind of arc of the narrative through the Navy that runs from John Paul Jones, one of the first ones we look at in the book to risk it all through Admiral Bull Halsey in the Second World War, who makes a reckless and a dangerous decision and only luck saves him at the Battle of Leyte Gulf, to someone like uh, Lieutenant Commander Lloyd Booker, who is faced with an impossible choice as the captain of USS Pueblo off the coast of North Korea, surrounded by the North Koreans. His choices are die or surrender. He has no means to resist or fight. These are hard choices, people will second guess you. And what the idea of the book is, is to prepare people for that moment, Uh, not as a naval person. That's just the frame of the story. It's to prepare you for that beach and a drowning victim, that automobile accident, that active shooter situation. These moments come for many of us. It's better to think about them early and be ready.
0: When Richard Nixon resigned, I hope I get this right. My hand to God, I'm not working from notes. When Nixon resigned, he said, uh, always give your best, never get discouraged, never be petty. And here, here's the key part for you. Always remember that others may hate you, but those who hate you don't win unless you hate them. And then you destroy yourself. First of all, why am I sharing that quote with Admiral Stavridis?
1: Uh, First and foremost, uh, because in all of our lives, there come moments when we make hard decisions, when we risk it all. And uh, I have always believed that uh, you have to take the emotion out of it. You know, the greatest book of leadership ever written may be The Godfather by Mario (laughs) Puzo, in which the Don tells Santino, don't make the mistake of hating your enemies. It clouds your judgment. Those words to live by. And then, secondly, I've also found in life, and I think this is the essence of what Nixon was trying to say, there are times when you simply will be beaten. And, you know, we say here in North Florida, you got to know the difference between quitting and getting beat. In other words, there are going to be times when you will lose. Think of the old man in the sea, Santiago the fisherman. A man can be defeated but not destroyed and the same idea here you can take pride in doing your very best, even if you are defeated in what you set out to do. And that's a fundamental lesson for anybody making decisions.
0: I I promise not to give away entirely for free, to risk it all, nine (laughs) conflicts and the crucible of decision. One more question about the book and then a question about page one of today's New York Times. First, the question about the book. This is so funny. Now I know why I was always under the Mendoza line all three times that I took the SAT in high school the advice you received admiral stavridis was go with your first answer truth be told the the answer i was told the advice i was given was if you don't know go with answer c that didn't work out for me
1: <laughs> but the point I bet is your sat scores were just fine hey, oh no oh
0: is, no no admiral oh. no they were not fine so but your point is you got you got to be willing to change your mind Yes, you do. And,
1: and, and here we get into assumption bias and back to the USS Vincennes, that tactical action officer was certain that the Iranians were going to fly a mission against his ship. And he saw a radar contact that appeared to be coming right at the ship. And he was unwilling to change his mind to admit other facts as others in that combat information center were saying, um, commander, that sh- that aircraft is not descending, he wouldn't change his mind. He had it in his mind he was going to shoot down this aircraft that he felt was threatening his ship. Um, you have to be willing to change your mind as the facts change in front of you. That's another lesson of to risk it all.
0: Well, congratulations on the new book. Here comes the front page question. I think I'll set it up this way. Yesterday in The New York Times, President Biden penned an essay explaining that we will provide the Ukrainians with more advanced rocket systems and munitions that will enable them to more precisely strike any targets on the battlefield in Ukraine. Those are all his words. By the way, parenthetically, uh, I'm sure someone read President Zelensky, the riot act and said, we're going to give you the weaponry, but absolutely do not go into Russia uh, with any of it. Let me stop there. You
1: agree with me, right? I agree with you on both points. Um, In other words, this is an excellent shopping list of material, combat-ready equipment we are providing the Ukrainians, notably those surface-to-surface rocket launchers. But they have range. They can go 50 miles, some of them even further. I think uh, President Zelensky would have been forced to commit to keeping those fires inside the Ukrainian borders. Look, the president's in a tough place here. We want Zelensky to succeed, but we don't want to end up in a nuclear war with Russia. That's a pretty narrow sea space you got to sail in. I think the president has it about right.
0: Okay, so that takes me to my, my second part and final question. Further along, the president says, let me be clear, any use of nuclear weapons in this conflict on any scale would be completely unacceptable to us as well as the rest of the world and would entail severe consequences. Today, David Sanger and William Broad, in analyzing the nuclear issue in The New York Times, then say, quote, those consequences, though, would almost certainly be non-nuclear, officials said, a sharp contrast to the kind of threats of nuclear escalation that Washington and Moscow, pursued during the Cold War. Explain that to me.
1: What Sanger and company are saying, and I think they're accurate, is that um, we are not going to respond to a nuke. And, and here we're really talking about the use of a tactical nuclear weapon inside Ukraine. I think there's zero chance of Putin reaching for the lever to the nuclear apocalypse. He loves his country. He likes his life. He's not looking to end the world. What we're talking about here is, would he use a tactical nuclear weapon? And what the president is conveying correctly is that if you do that, Vladimir, use a tactical nuke, we are going to horizontally respond to it, meaning massive cyber attack, meaning putting up a NATO no-fly zone the day after, meaning using uh, NATO warships at sea to take apart the Black Sea Fleet and break the blockade, Those are the kind of things that would be considered in the wake of use of nuclear weapon. And I dare say that if Putin popped a nuke, the entire world would uh, walk away from him. I think he knows that. And I think that's why uh, he is unlikely to use it. But what's a tactical
0: nuclear weapon, as you're using those words? Mm
1: -hmm. It would be a nuclear weapon that had tactical effect on the battlefield, let's say, for example, he was still uh, trying to break the city of Mariupol. Potentially, he could have used a tactical nuclear weapon, relatively small in scale, which would have destroyed only, I put that in air quotes, the center of the city, would have rendered nuclear uh, particles around the outskirts of the city, but would not be a nuclear weapon that would destroy a vast city-like team. So he could have used that if he were failing in that siege. He succeeded in that siege. Um, I don't see any other, and this gets to a second reason, I don't think there's a high probability of him using a tactical nuclear weapon. I don't see a scenario where he really benefits from that.
0: In other words, it's not you you say nuclear weapon. We think uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki. It's not that it's it's in a much more isolated instance. What what Sanger and Broad are saying is there wouldn't be a NATO or U.S. nuclear tit for tat.
1: No. And again, there's no scenario where we would then use a tactical nuclear weapon against, say, a Russian logistics uh, wellhead. Uh, inside Ukraine or even inside Russia, we would respond instead by simply escalating the level of conventional response, which would be, I think, disastrous for Putin. The the three things I just mentioned uh, all would be extremely dangerous for him, taking out the Black Sea Fleet, putting up a NATO no-fly zone or a massive cyber attack against Russian society. Those would be disastrous for Putin. Um, Admiral, we're not we're not going to go there, in my view, because I don't think Putin is going to use a tactical nuclear weapon.
0: The book is called To Risk It All, Nine Conflicts and the Crucible of Decision. The author is Admiral James Stavridis. I will see you soon. And I thank you as always.
1: Look forward to seeing you, hopefully uh, on your television show soon, I believe. You got it, Admiral. Thank you for that,
0: sir. I appreciate it. Okay, talk soon. Bye bye. Listen to Michael live weekdays on POTUS, Sirius XM channel 124 and on the SXM app. What a bright guy. Holy smokes. Hey, Just your, your so, memory's good, Michael. So smart.
1: The, oh, Nixon? Yeah. Did I, you look it I up? I looked it up. Not only did I look it up, but I have the audio. So this was from um, August 9th, 1974. He had already announced his resignation. And this was in a farewell speech. an to impromptu- the staff. Exactly. Can, to I, the staff. TC,
0: can I say this to you? I have a terrible memory. Verbatim. Uh, I have a terrible memory and I admire when others can memorize quotations. President Biden, for example, has this ability. I, I know for all of the, the complaints ab- about, you know, from his from his enemies, his political enemies. What they regard as his feeble nature, he he can he rattles them off. He can rattle off poets and so on. on. I don't have that ability. I cannot do it, and I've often said that if someone tells me a joke and I love a good joke, tomorrow I cannot retell the joke. Honestly, it's a major, major uh, liability of mine. But for some reason, I do have this prattling around in the back of my head. Always give your best. Never get discouraged. Never be petty. Always remember, others may hate you. But those who hate you don't win unless you hate them. And then you destroy yourself. Yeah, and it's the way I remembered it. And Admiral Stavridis in the book says, don't hate your enemies because it's going to cloud your judgment and your decision-making skills. And Vladimir Putin apparently has fallen into that trap. Okay. I would like to focus our conversation now on Ukraine and what's going on with Russia and isolate exactly on that which I raised with Admiral Stavridis a moment ago. President Biden writing this guest opinion essay in The New York Times said this. Let me be clear. Any use of nuclear weapons in this conflict or on any scale would be completely unacceptable to us as well as the rest of the world and would entail severe consequences. And the Times then comes along and two of their senior and, and, and most knowledgeable reporters say that's not a non-nuclear response that he's talking about which is a sharp contrast to the kind of threat of nuclear escalation that Washington and Moscow pursued during the Cold War. Previously, it would have been if you use nuclear weapons, we will respond in kind. And that is not what President Biden said. And you heard Admiral Stavridis talk about the use of a tactical nuke, which to me as a layperson, you heard him, I heard him. I think he means in a very isolated manner. If, in trying to take control of an area or a city, uh, Putin were to use a tactical nuke, then we would do everything in response except going nuclear. Hear more of Michael Smirconish
1: on Sirius XM's POTUS Channel 124. Live
0: weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon east or anytime on the Sirius XM app.
1: Connect with Michael on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube,
0: and at Smirconish.com. Book Club with Michael Smirconish. New episodes drop Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays.